Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Tula Tacos and Amigos in downtown Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Christian Mader, publisher and editor of The Current. It's business, Acadiana style. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. You know, imagine Acadiana without festivals. Between 2020 and 2021, we nearly got a taste of that reality, and for the most part, it wasn't pleasant. Gathering is a big part of the culture here, so when COVID made getting together dangerous, it also threatened our way of life. Festivals did what they could to keep the tradition alive. Going virtual was a workable substitute in a pinch, but the lift was still costly and the digital copy just couldn't compare with the real thing. My guest today navigated Acadia in its two largest annual gatherings uh, through two straight years of pivots. Scott Feehan has been the executive director of Festival International since 2015. His day job is in IT, but he's been a cultural entrepreneur going on two decades now. If you grew up playing in rock and roll bands like I did, you might know Scott as the drum shop guy or as the man behind Lafayette's School of Rock. Scott Feehan, welcome to Out to Lunch. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, Pat Mould runs programming and development for Festival Acadiana Creole. He's the man in charge of what happens at the festival and, crucially, who pays for it. Uh, Pat is a renowned chef who's made a big mark in bringing Cajun cuisine into fine dining, and he's also the interim general manager of KRVS. So, Pat, thanks for keeping us on the air. Pat Mould, welcome to Out the Lunch. Nice to be here. So, I, I, Scott, I want to start with you, which is, you know, we've done two virtual festivals, and, I mean, it would be easy to kind of focus in on how hard it is to do a festival during a pandemic of not being able to put people together. But I, I'm actually curious, what are some things that festival did because of that that you think you want to keep doing? Like, well, that was actually a pretty good idea, and we should do that when we can actually all get together. Yeah, the, the virtual component? Yeah, well, I mean, maybe not even the virtual, just something you did, right? We, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's certainly f- just like everything. It forces to really think outside the box. So, I mean, the we did a few things over the past two years that I th- we are looking to keep um, with. Like one, we were able to engage with downtown restaurants and businesses in, in new ways that we hadn't before. You know, we had the a month-long uh, festival that, that we had, you know, restaurants come up with their own dishes and serve for the entire month of April. So that was fun, and that's something we look to, to continue doing. Um, we also, you know, we've streamed in the past for live festivals, but obviously with the virtual fest, it, we introduced some new components um, that that we incorporated the last two years that we will look at you know we're going to look at probably trying to stream uh, more stages in the next in the coming years and some of the interactive things that we did we're just going to try to when we get back to the live component hopefully we can take the streaming you know mix in what we did the last two years so it should be fun yeah i mean the festivals thing was something that i i really liked because i like food i'm one of the people that goes to festival primarily to eat which is interesting because i mean you know a lot of the restaurants you do have at the location of restaurants i go to Otherwise, I mean, and, and, um, I, I guess I'm curious, like, what was it about, you know, that program that actually that you want to carry forward? I mean, like, it makes sense to do that. But I mean, like, at the same time, like you're expanding the footprint of festival over a month. Maybe people get festival fatigue. I don't know. I mean, why? Why keep doing it for a month? Yeah. So there's a there's a few reasons. I mean, so one, um, any way that we can strengthen our relationship with um, not just downtown restaurants and businesses, but local restaurants and businesses because that's a lot that's a part of our mission is we want to be an economic driver and stimulant you know similar to festivals of Cadena and Creole so any innovative ways that we can do to not only be an economic driver but also help 
bring you know expose our culture to the world and if, if that's a, a new vehicle for us to use I mean it's, just, it's a lot of fun and, and you're right I mean festival fatigue could be a real thing so we, we wouldn't want to overdo it but uh, you know it was a mix of festival and, and downtown has been doing some of those types of ideas for a couple of years now too so I think there's some room to still have fun with it yeah I mean so festival if, if festival fatigue was a real thing I don't know that anybody's ever had it because there are so many <laughs> festivals in Acadiana. I think we'd all just be tired all the time. Pat, I, I want to kind of start with the same question for you, which is, you know, what was something that you kind of learned in this process that you thought, you know, we wouldn't have come up with this idea had it not been for this, you know, terrible, terrible situation we right. found ourselves in? The, the main thing it made us realize is that we don't point cameras at our stages enough. When it came time to do a virtual uh, festival, we had no footage, very limited footage of, of the bands and stuff. So I searched high and low uh, and found people who had been pointing cameras at our stages. And uh, so, yeah, it made us realize that. And then the, the, it, it made us realize that we also need to have possibly a streaming component to the event for the people who can't come every year. I mean, obviously, we want boots on the ground as much as possible uh, because of the, the economic impact we have on the, on the city and parish, but not everybody can get there every year. So we, we need to have some sort of streaming component to the festival moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, something I strive with, we were looking through some archived pictures that I could find of early festivals, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, one of the things that was most shocking to me was a picture of, I forgot what musician was playing, but it was, it was when it was at Blackham, mm-hmm. and, All right. and everyone was sitting down yeah, no one was dancing. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, how is that even possible? Like, I mean, like, it's kind of hard to imagine festival going in that direction or having had to go in that direction again. I mean, does does, does a festival like festival like Cadia make sense in a streaming platform? I mean, it, people that, go to stuff to dance, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, look, uh, uh, the virtual piece or the virtual aspect of it is kind of a, a, a heavy lift. I mean, there's nothing like being there and being in person and dancing in the dust or dancing in the mud. So yes, and and. Uh, it was funny because at that festival at uh, Blackham, uh, the concert you're talking about, uh, the police actually rousted people from dancing, uh, you know, on the, on the dance floor. I was one of those people, as a matter of fact. And, uh, but we, what Barry Ancelet and the organizers of the festival were trying to do is to put Cajun and Creole music in a different light, uh, that it can be sit, sat, and listened to. Uh, and look... 10,000 people showed up at that concert. It was amazing. Yeah, uh, so Scott, I mean, one thing that I, I think people don't often have a real clear view to is just the logistics of putting Festival International together in terms of, like, pulling international talent in. I mean, it wasn't just, like, the pandemic, right? I mean, I remember there was a year where, you know, volcanic clouds above, you know, the northern hemisphere kept artists from flying back from Europe. I mean, it's, it's a lot, and certainly what we've experienced... Some of the things that we've experienced uh, through the pandemics will probably stick around. I mean, ch- you know, challenges in terms of like, I mean, is, is that going to mean that we're going to have fewer international artists? Is it going to be harder to book them? Has that really changed the outlook on how the festival's program going forward? Uh, yes, there are certainly new challenges that, uh, that I think are probably here, at least for the foreseeable future. So, yeah, on, on normal years, as you mentioned, there's all kinds of things that come up. But what, what we're dealing with right now is, you know, travel restrictions like never before, uh, visa issues, things like this. So for 2022, I mean, we are going to be booking 
a lot more stateside acts. Now, that's not to say this, they're not going to be international. There's a lot of international artists that we book every year that are stateside. Um, but we also fly in a lot. So this year, it's, it, it is going to be more challenging to fly people from across the pond, for sure. Has the festival circuit sort of come back? I mean, I know that's a big part of how this stuff tends to get booked, right? Like, you, you know that there are packages of artists that are traveling from here to there. And so, you know, obviously famously all coordinate with um with jazz fest um so i mean does it feel like it's coming back in a way that people have some confidence that we can actually keep doing this so in some ways it does feel like it's coming back like fine we the last couple of weeks we were looking at each other saying man it, fi- it feels like festival again you know things we're actually hitting our timeline like we would in a normal year so to some degree it does feel like it's back and with the agents last year at this time there there was no discussion at all they just they weren't even looking to even attempt to put tours on the books so uh, that activity is picking up again which is great news now but the international travel component is still somewhat uh, you know the people are reluctant to get that really rolling now because of the restrictions and the tax implications and just the uncertainty hmm. You know, Pat, has it been, you know, going through these cycles, right? I mean, I know that a lot of things, a lot of programmers of all sorts, right, are dealing with how, okay, well, if I cancel an event, what happens to my sponsors? I mean, do you, do you anticipate this is going to, it's going to be hard to get them back in the fold if, if anybody, you know, dropped off because they're like, I don't want to put my name on something that doesn't happen. I mean, does it get more difficult to get them back in or, or sponsors? eager to come back yeah i mean lucky for us most of our sponsors all of just about all of our sponsors stuck with us you know through the virtual festival and we're in the process uh for 2022 talking to them right now because you know we plan on doing two festivals in 2022 one in march and then coming back and getting back on schedule in october but uh yeah most of our sponsors have been amenable to uh continuing to work with us obviously yeah yeah Yeah, that's great to hear i mean do do you what really has to change for y'all? I mean, obviously you're not dealing with the same right. lingering, sort of like, okay, well, travel restrictions is less of a concern. Most of the folks that play Festival at Cadian are from around a here. Local, local. Most of them, I mean. Yes. Um, so, I mean, like, does it present any, does it still present any logistical challenges for y'all? Uh, from, I'm, I'm sorry. I guess on the COVID side, right? I mean, like, it feels like we're just well, dealing with this forever. Yeah, so, I mean, like, I, look, I think it's going to be with us no matter what moving forward. And so... Obviously, uh, taking every precaution you can as an attendee to make sure that you you don't get exposed to COVID is is, is a factor. I mean, and we don't want to tell people what to do, but obviously, you know, uh, things are better if everybody gets on the same page as far as the, the COVID vaccinations and, and wearing. Of course, the mask thing is, is pretty much going by the wayside, which is great. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a challenge. I mean, that was one of the reasons why we decided to cancel 2021 is that we have a lot of kids who come to the festival. And they were the one segment of the population that couldn't get vaccinated. So uh, we didn't want to take a chance. You know, we have a lot of families and kids that come, so we didn't want to take a chance of anybody being exposed. Did, did, so you guys canceled 21, mm-hmm. but didn't you move it to March? So is, is it going to be... Festival Acadian 2021, but in March 2022, like Correct. what they had to do with the World Cup or the Olympics. Right, like, right. <laughs> That's a good question. I, I never thought about it from that perspective. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a redux or redo. Or, yeah. You know, and, and then would you still have 2022, but in October 2022? Yes, yes. So okay. get us back on track. Uh, yeah. 
So we're gonna do now it. we're it talking be... about festival fatigue again. I mean, right, right. right. <laughs> no, no, people are excited. They're going to get a twofer, man. Yeah. They're going to get two two festivals for the for the price of one, I guess. But it's know. a free festival pack. Yes, I know. That's, <laughs> that's my point. It's free. It's not going to cost anybody anything, you know. Yeah, yeah it's going to – logistically, it's going to be a challenge, but we're, we're, we're excited to do it. We, again, we just wanted to maintain our <laughs> – uh, chronological order, I yeah. guess. Uh, I don't know if that's overthinking it or what, but, uh, you know. I think it would be fun if you guys went with Festival 2021. I mean, it was weird watching the Olympics, and it was like, oh, yeah, that's right. It was 2020, the Tokyo 2020 Games, right, right. but it's 2021. But it was kind of charming in its own way. Um, you know, you raise an interesting question or reason point, right, which is like there's there's a, there's an element of sort of crowd behavior, right? Like people have to take sort of personal responsibility. It's, you know, there's only so much you can do, especially with an outdoor event. And, I mean, and Scott, it makes me think about, you know, Lafayette has low vaccination rates overall. I mean, we don't really know the, the nature of the pandemic coming forward. I mean, does that present a complication for, like, the artists that you guys bring in? You might look at this and say, like, man, I don't feel safe going to Lafayette, Louisiana after, you know, massive hospitalization spikes and, and things like that i mean it, it, has that come up as like a challenge oh yeah no it's um th- we're actually working that as we speak so for the past i guess four or five weeks or so um, we've had discussions with booking agents because that is a big big issue on their mind not just i mean certainly south louisiana imposes you know its own characteristics but if they're going to be putting their groups on tour you know there's a lot of money invested in that tour not just festival international so um, there are certainly r- certain requirements that we have to be able to guarantee from airport to airport, essentially. From the time that we pick them up, you know, we, we're going through every touch point. Everybody who's going to be in touch, contact with the band from transportation to hotels to hospitality to stage, stage crew. So that's, we're, we're, that's, an ex- that's an active exercise right now to make sure that we can provide some protection for all of these musicians who are coming in. What kind of requirements do they have? I mean, like, I mean I'm sure, sure this is all, you know, I've seen plenty of, um, you know, booking contracts. I mean, I'm imagining they're getting thicker and thicker and thicker. I mean, what kind of... Yeah, and, and so by and large from the booking side, there's not, the contracts themselves haven't changed much, but there's a certain amount of... Um, you know, good faith, yeah. and and that good faith is discussed at length. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, the the first easy thing, and and there's varying degrees. I mean, some agents are absolute. You know, we need to we need to know that everybody is vaccinated, that we'll be in contact, and you know, we we of course establish you know the the patrons. That, I mean, how much can we do on that front? And they're they're fine and understandable, and there's some give and take, but. You know, the people who are going to be in the van driving the musicians from the hotel to the stage. And then uh, during set changes, you know, there's a 30 minute set change to not only strike the stage, but also set the new one up. So those are the touch points that we really have to spend the time on and make sure that we have. And then even backstage people. Right. You know, most any festival. I mean, you guys know there's backstage passes and there's people that traditionally may have access that a lot of that's going to go away. Wow. I mean, I'm starting to even think about how much volunteer labor is involved in Festival International, right? right? I mean, people do that every year. It's something that they love to do. And I mean, I imagine you're going to have to say, look, we, what, vaccine requirement to volunteer? No, not necessarily. I mean, you know, we have, we have, we're dependent upon over 2,100 volunteers. So not, we're actually, and we're, we're less of a, you know, geocentric, organization so we're looking at a lot of our volunteer chairs um, to basically figure out what makes sense in the different areas so for the for the places that actually have direct contact with artists we're having those conversations right now to make sure that we can figure out what we can do and what we can live up to 
But yeah, I mean, we're not going to be in a position to be able to tell, you know, from a patron perspective or, you know, all the volunteers. We're just, we're not that, we're not equipped as an organization to do that. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. I'm talking with Scott Vienna, Festival International, and Pat Mould, a festival Acadian and Creole. Hey, Pat, I mean, what's the volunteer workforce like for Festival Acadian? I mean, I actually don't have a good, I don't have a I don't know. I don't know that. We don't use quite as many volunteers. We about six to seven hundred volunteers okay, over the course of the weekend. Lot. Yeah, it's it's a yeah. lot, and you know we have people that have been doing it for literally for decades. It's amazing uh, that you know we've we've had a good volunteer workforce because yeah. we couldn't do this without it. Really, what I mean? What really motivates us is it just to be involved. I mean, because you can't. You know, I know like with things like golf brew, people like sign up for golf brew so that they can drink, right? Right, right, <laughs> so right. they're right. like, I want to volunteer. It's like the hottest volunteer ticket in town. But like, if you're doing, your your basic gift is a free festival. I mean, is that really what it is? Yeah, that's like, I just want to be involved, man. Yeah, I want to be involved in the love of the culture, love of the music, yeah. uh, love of the food. Uh, so yeah, it's a, they, they have a, uh, and they just, they genuinely, most of our volunteers, all of them really, genuinely love, genuinely love the festival and want to be a part of it. Yeah. Have you guys found that, I mean, kind of put this question to both of you, I mean, Mm. thinking about, look, you've got, if you add to your product line by way of streaming, right? You Mm. said, like, we're going to put more cameras on the stage. I mean, obviously, there was an archival purpose for that, too. But, you know, being able to to, to stream it to people, I mean, like, do sponsors look at that as an added value? Or is that something that they're like, eh, don't put my logo on that? I mean, do they care? From a streaming perspective? I mean, I'm just trying to think, like, is, you know, the the big company that, that, that can... Is this another opportunity for you guys to raise it's not, revenue? It's not as, I, I found that it's not as valuable to them as the in-person sort of presence that they could have in the way of banners and logos and things like that. But again, I can't stress enough how our sponsors stuck with us through the whole virtual uh, as, uh, virtual event we did in 2020. Uh, we just didn't see the need to do one in 2021 because it was such a heavy, it's a heavy lift, man. It's, it's a tremendous amount of production time, coordination, bringing in bands and filming them at different locations. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, logistically, it's a heavy lift. And yeah. so we felt that, that it would be better just to postpone uh, 2021 and then focus on 2022. I got you. So, I mean, Scott, what about y'all? I mean, again, it feels like, look, you, you create new ideas, you have new places, you know, that sponsor could want to be, but do, do they find that like an attractive place to be? Yeah, I mean, it depends. I, th- I think by and large, we had a similar experience as, um, as Pat and Barry. But there were there are a couple of sponsors. And it was interesting. The first year that we did uh, virtual, there was actually um, you know, a couple of sponsors that didn't want to have anything to do with it. Well, then fast forward to this year, it was more of an accepted deal. And they actually didn't want to touch live events because there was still a big, because of where we were in the pandemic. So they actually wanted the um you know the virtual so moving forward they, we actually have a couple sponsors who are placing value on both the live and then also the virtual if we can piggyback that on you know on what we do so it's it's added a new layer to you know what we'll be doing moving forward so hopefully you know hopefully we can nurture that and grow it into something yeah it just gives you another opportunity to expose your brand to a to an audience that might not be available to come and also expose their brand in the, in the process from a sponsorship standpoint. I mean, for, for most businesses that sponsor, I mean, is it really the visibility that matters to them? It's a, yeah, I'd say it's a mix. I mean, they want to support the cause, so to speak. And, and look, they understand the, the economic impact that 
Festival International and Festivals of Cotillanza Creole has on the community, and they just want to be a part of that as well. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it just like, strikes me that, like, yeah, look, Festival International, you have, what, 400,000 people? Well, you know, say, you know, in the before times, right, they, they, they were 400,000 people would be a good, a good year or something to that effect. But, I mean, like, big international brands, I mean, that's, that's a lot of people, but maybe not. I mean, so is it really just it comes down to, look, we want to get behind something that we believe in? or I, I don't know, I just kind of, as I've had to do this myself, like thinking about who your audience is, because you're selling an audience to people and saying, like, get your brand in front of 400,000 blank. I mean, who, who are you actually delivering to these sponsors? Yeah, and, and it, it, it certainly gets down to who you're talking to. I think we certainly share some of the same sponsors, and so there is a good feel-good community aspect to what we both do. But also, at the end of the day, I mean, they do want to be able to put some, some pen to paper to say, all right, we're going to get our name in front of this many people, this type of exposure, you know, not just on-site, but also billboards and all the additional exposure that we get as, as events and organizations. So every conversation we have, there is the community side, but there's also the marketing and the exposure side. Yeah, what are you going to do? Sponsorship. To, what are you going to do to expose my brand to as many people as possible? I yeah. mean, is the thing. So, I mean, here's the question that comes up, I think, every two years. I mean, are, have either of you had to entertain the idea, again, of ticketing the events, right? I mean, yeah, I think this is more something that's come up around Festival of National than right, that's right. Festival of well, yeah, I mean, like, yeah. I mean, look, uh, my cohort in crime, Dr. Barry Angelay, would, 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 you know, how do I want to say this? I'm, I, and I'm hoping it doesn't ever happen to him, but he'd be rolling over in his grave if we ever... <laughs> Yeah. tried to fence in Gerard Park and ticket the event. It's just, it's just not, at this stage of the game, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, we, we've got to do a better job from a financial standpoint of sponsorships and beverage sales and merchandise sales and, and festival friends. Uh, so we've we got to do a better job of fundraising as, as much as we possibly can because it's just going to, it's always going to be a free event. Yeah. Scott? Yeah, I think we both share in that in that mission of, of making sure the event's accessible to everybody, no matter what their situation is. So I think the, the key, I think, to both of our organizations is, you know, if, if you believe in it and you, you know, like while it's non-ticket, it is certainly not free to produce. So if, if the way we look at it is if you're in a position to be able to give back and support, you know, please do. I mean, you're either, just like anything, you're either part of what, brings it to Lafayette or you're you're a detractor from it so you know if you're in a tough spot then come enjoy it for free please and then when your situation improves and you can buy a pen buy a pen now if you get if you're in a better position and you can buy, buy a bunch two of, pens yeah <laughs> a bunch of merch you can sign up to be a, a, full, a rain angel or a supporter of Festival, Festival of Cotillion yeah you know if, it's a, if everybody who enjoyed either one of our events did that and supported in a way that made sense to them both of our events would live on forever <laughs> <laughs> we all want them to live on forever. That's for sure. Right. I mean, so I mean, is what what is this actual breakdown like then? I mean, we're sort of talking about it from a financial standpoint. Like, okay, does would ticketing, you know, add value to it? But I mean, I actually don't know that I have a very clear picture of I mean how these things are actually financed. Like, is it twenty percent sponsorship and twenty percent you know licensing the not licensing uh, merchandise rent, merchandising or, or or the you know even the the rentals for you know if I'm a vendor and I want a space I mean how does that break down for y'all individually I mean actually Pat I mean start with you I, I think it's probably you know the sponsorship aspect of it is is the bulk of it yeah. you know I, at least half I would go yeah. off the top of my head uh, beverage sales is another huge chunk of 
of our, our, our funding as well. And then uh, further down the, the line would be merch sales, uh, festival friends, uh, uh, tent rentals, you know, uh, reserving your space at the festival in Gerard Park was a new thing we did a couple of years ago. And people gravitated to it. So it's, it's uh, but, but sponsorship really, I don't know about you, Scott, but for us, it, it's the bulk of the, of the financial uh, uh, need. Yeah, and so it's, for us, it's similar. Um, now, we're in a little bit different of a scenario because of, you know, the size. We have, we have some ongoing annual overhead that, uh, yeah. that goes above and beyond the event. So very, very roughly speaking, you know, probably a third is from corporate support and a third is from on-site sales, whether that's beverages or merchandise or people paying for vendor booths. And then the other third is from uh, private support, you know, the Amis, that's the 10 and ten to $25 donations all the way up to our Rain Angels, which is, you know, in the 2500 to $3,000 category. So it's, it, I think, similar for both of us. We just, I think for years we just have to scrap and, and scratch and get yeah, creative right. to pull it all in however we can. And, and that's the messaging, I think, is the most important thing for us because we both battled it for years. When you say talk about this free festival, it, it, it puts this impression. I know I personally had this impression about Festival International, both of them. Yeah. They just popped out of the sky once a year. It was magic. It was free, and that was it. And um, I think it's important for people to understand that it is, yeah, it is I, deeper than that. And we got to where we, we, we tr I tried to use the word free less and less because nothing is free. I mean, you know, it's like uh, people should support both of our events. I mean, they're both the, I mean, we're great bookends to each other. I would suggest you guys just look at NFTs or something like that if you're looking for more revenue streams. Um, look, thank you guys so much for, for what you do and keeping the festivals going. And, uh, you know, seems like when we started doing these shows during the pandemic, you know, we were talking about when things would be different. And obviously things are still changing, but it's, it's, it's important to see that you guys are... Um, still pivoting and figuring out how to make it work and, and of course we're all eager for things to, to, to be on the up and up um, so uh, thank you both for being here <laughs> uh, thank you Scott and thank you Pat for, for joining me today on Out to Lunch Acadiana my guests on Out to Lunch Acadiana have been Scott Feehan of Festival International and Pat Mould of Festival Acadiana Creole we edited this show to fit in the time slot here on KRVS and you can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Scott and Pat and what they do by listening to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast, which you can find on your podcast app and on our website. It's Acadiana.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsacadiana.com and on our social media. And these photos were taken by Astor Morgan. You can find more of Astor's work at astormorgan.com. Out to Lunch Acadiana is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRBS 88.7 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Technical producer is Eric Merle. Today's show was engineered by Aaron Thomas. Our associate producers are Molly Richard and Jan Risher. Researcher was Claire Como. I'm Christian Mader, editor of The Current Lafayette's nonprofit source for local news. And for more local news and commentary, head over to thecurrentla.com and sign up for our newsletter. I'll see you here again next time for more business and conversation on Out to Lunch Acadiana. Bye-bye. Out to Lunch Acadiana is recorded live over lunch at Tula Tacos and Amigos. Tula Tacos and Amigos offers street-style tacos, margaritas, and an open-air courtyard on Jefferson Street in the heart of downtown Lafayette. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com.
and by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 